This is a Soul Fire production. Hi, this is Kimberly Kleiman Lee, executive coach, performance consultant, and host of the Do I Dare podcast. If you're a leader who wants to inspire, empower, and raise the leadership bar, then you have come to the right place, my friend. Here you will get access to powerful yet practical solutions that elevate your performance and dissolve roadblocks. Do you dare to lead in a way that moves the needle and scales the impact? Yeah? Then let's do it. Noah and Micah, it is such a pleasure and honor to not only see you again, but to invite you to the Do I Dare podcast. Thanks so much, you guys, for joining us uh, on what is one of my favorite, uh, absolute favorite topics, creativity, uh, artistry, innovation, and all things uh, cousins to that. So welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This is great. Yeah. So for the listeners, Micah, Noah, and I go back, I think around 10 years when you guys brought your amazing talents to General Electric's GE Crotonville. It's kind of like their corporate university. And at the time I was leading uh, leadership learning and development there. And we um, had a hunch, a hypothesis uh, backed by a ton of science that really exposing folks to art and efforts of creativity would help them in so many different business functions. Can you pick up the story there and talk about the the spirit with which you came in and, and joined us in the classroom and, and what your intentions were? Yeah, um, I mean, it really started, you know, I was brought in uh, by some wonderful folks who were focusing on this type of work, but coming really as an artist who hadn't done any type of consulting work before and was thrown into the environment and what met wonderful people like you and uh, was told to talk to these business people about art. And, and it was wild because at first it was very daunting, but then quickly uh, it was obvious that what we had to say, what we brought to the table was really valuable. And I remember it went from an elective that was like, oh, you could do this or some other things that all very nice things, but it was like, this was an option. And then it, and I loved that it, it made this transition with the help of you and Micah to a place of, no, this is a requirement. Actually, this, we see the value in this. We see the people we run through this, uh, having these light bulbs going off in these sessions. And we need everybody to have uh, this experience of, of learning with an artist and, and make, Micah can pick it up from there, I'm sure. Well, that's why I'm here. Noah sort of downplays. He said he sort of stumbled into this, like, you know, just somebody asked him to talk about art. It's <laughs> Noah had already created um, something really amazing um, and wonderful. He he created his own. He'll tell a little more, but he he created his own art project on the internet. And again, Noah and I had both been using the internet for creative, our own personal creative development, very early on in the era of. Um, blogging and and video sharing and just rich content sharing as something accessible to average people. So we were early on in understanding that this was a space for creativity and creative development. Noah did something really surprising and wonderful there. He created an art project that caught the attention of the world, let's be honest, uh, including Martha Stewart and getting him a book deal, among other things, in the early era of blogging. And that story um, he, Noah turned it into a learning story very quickly, the way he shared it. Um, and that's really why people wanted Noah to talk. Not that he was some random person, but he had already Fair enough. had a wonderful experience that he had turned into a, a very powerful learning story um, that we were able to continue to bring to people. Oh, absolutely. And the learning was so transferable. So I need to brag about you guys for a second. So folks really understand the depth um, of your talents here. So Noah is an artist, activist, and author of six books. You have two different companies. NoahScalen.com is uh, where you can see just a tremendous amount of your art, which I'm going to talk about in just a second. And Another Limited Rebellion, you started in 2001, and that is actually how we got connected was through your uh, amazing consulting services there. Again, we're going to unpack that a little bit more in a bit, Um, but just a little bit more on Noah. Um, his artwork is collected internationally. It's been exhibited in a number of museums and galleries, including the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts and New York Times, um, New York City's Times Square. Uh, author of six books. Noah, look what I have. Look, little show and tell here. I have these. Do you remember these? Can you see? Excellent. Aaron, a Zoom, you guys. Um, two, he's an author of six books, but two of my faves that I've shared with a number of folks. Unstuck and a daily creative uh, creativity journal 365. 
not only is it just delicious and rich with content, you guys, it is whimsical and fun and eclectic, and it's everything that art and creativity should um, be. So uh, I recommend these uh, to business folks because it's just such a great way to get the juices flowing and uh, be able to, again, transfer those skills and, and apply them later. So we're going to point them to your website, uh, Noah, so that they can really uh, take a peek at those books and, and order them. Highly, highly recommend. Um, first ever artist in residence at the Virginia Commonwealth University School of Business, which I think is fantastic, and was named the region's most creative individual by Richmond Magazine in, in 2017. So uh, that is one artist in the family. Let me bring in the other artist in the family, crazy uh, talented group here. Micah Scalen is innovator in the use of art and media for uh, community engagements and creative development. She's uh, one of the first producers hired by NBC Universal Digital Studios. Uh, she ran social media strategy at Showtime Networks and consulted on CBS's interactive marketing, VP of communications for the groundbreaking nonprofit JDub, and has produced documentary films, art exhibitions, and cultural events. She has a huge passion for creating cultural experiences that make meaningful connections between people, some of which I know we're going to be talking about on our podcast today. And then, Micah, this is fascinating. You're one of the humans behind Dogmenta, America's first art show for dogs. Do the, are the dogs the artists or are the dogs the subject of the art, Micah? Oh, good question. Neither. Neither. <laughs> we, um, we invited um, contemporary artists, practicing contemporary artists, to create original artworks for dogs. Dogs were the audience. They were the dogs audience. Were the, yes, yes, which that. really um, made for some delightful photographs. If you like to look at dogs interacting with artwork, you can look up Dogumenta on Instagram and you will be enjoying yourself for quite some time. I love, I think that's book number seven, you guys. I think there's got to be a coffee table version. Oh my gosh, you're right. For sure, for I sure. So. Okay. I hope so. I want to be credited with that amazing idea. Of course. <laughs> And then one of your most recent art exhibitions was the work you did for Old Navy. Um, and I think it was called From Our Family to Yours. Does that sound um, right? It was, in essence, you took clothing, I'm assuming, from Old Navy. And you organized this clothing on a massive floor um, in the shape of an image. It's, in essence, three uh, women who look playful and that they're kind of head-to-head cheek to cheek, if you will. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about how that particular project came up? Yeah, that project is really um, amazing and, and very much uh, builds on all of the ideas and principles that we share through our consulting work. Um, uh, basically, I've been doing these large scale installations using everyday materials, including clothing for a few years now. And uh, right after we all went into lockdown, uh, you know, one of the things that I worried about as an artist and as a consultant was what I was going to be doing, uh, because I'm used to doing large scale public work, gallery shows where there's an audience uh, going and talking to people in person, running workshops, all kinds of stuff that I couldn't do anymore. And uh, and shortly after we, we all got locked down, I got a, a message from uh, the Martin Agency, which is a, a nationally known, internationally known advertising agency that's based here in Richmond, Virginia, where I am. And they said, you know, we, we knew your work already. We're fans of what you do. We've got an opportunity to work with Old Navy. We can't use the campaign we were going to use. We're on a tight deadline. Uh, we got to figure out how to make something that we, that, you know, is local, that is a big splash that looks different because everything, you know, looked the same for a little while on TV uh, because everybody's using stock photography and everybody was like, how do we make commercials in the time of COVID? And they said, we love what you do. Could you do it for us? Uh, you know, how do we make it happen? And I said, yeah, of course, Let, let's figure this out. And they pulled together several thousand pieces of, of old Navy, Navy clothing, found a warehouse space, uh, and they put me in a space with one person who operated five cameras and one assistant, and we shot over the course of a week uh, the footage we needed. And then the whole process took from idea to going on TV, I believe it was like six weeks, which is unheard of. I mean, just a crazy fast to, to think of it, to make it, have all the meetings you need to meet with, with corporate, make it, edit it get it on TV. And it actually started out as a, a, a video that was supposed to be just social media video. Yeah. And it was so popular and, and they liked it so much that they said, let's run it national TV. And it ended up being one of the most widely seen commercials of 2020. Uh, and, the, and the Martin agency ended up uh, winning a big honor as, as one of the best agencies in America 
because of the work they did with Old Navy and that I was part of. That is fantastic. So we're going to put a link to this in our show notes for sure. But uh, for you guys who want to just check out Noah's art, check out noahscalin.com, N-O-A-H-S-C-A-L-I-N.com. And you'll see a, a whole um, sampling of his amazing work. But when, when Noah says he uses everyday objects, he is not kidding. And then he uh, seems to, again, to Micah's point, downplay it a little bit more. And when he says he works with pennies and stickers and chewing gum and, you know, what's in the refrigerator and that sort of thing. So uh, let me just explain the best that I can describe this. Noah will have an image in his mind or he'll take a photograph and he will literally use whatever objects he thinks will um, help bring that image to life um, on his canvas. And to his earlier description, his canvas could be a warehouse floor. It could be an actual canvas. It could be a desktop, like when he worked with us at General Electric. Um, it is really exceptional. And here's the thing that I love about Noah and Micah's form of art. Usually when I think about artists, I think about the exactness, the preciseness, the perfection of it all, the certain kinds of brushes and, um, and paint colors that are you know, specific hues and tones and applied just right to make sure that the picture again shows up as, as it was imagined to be. What Noah does, it takes what's available and makes amazing art with it. And some of his um, mediums are inflexible. They're um, impossible, I'm sure. At first look, they might be looked at as absurd. Um, the, the inflexibility, perhaps, of, I couldn't do anything with that material. He figures it out. And that is the message we wanted to send our students um, as they experience this in the business world, that you can make art, you can be creative with any medium if you approach it and think about it in the right way. So there are no limitations. You can do a lot with what you have. And as you guys know, in the corporate world, any company, you rarely get more time, money, or talent. So you do have to be a bit scrappy and a bit creative in terms of how you approach it. The artwork that I was really first introduced to by the Scalin family was Noah's mission on what was called a skull a day. Um, and I just thought, oh my gosh, if you can do that, 365 skulls out of whatever is around you, we can certainly solve the problems that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So Noah, can you tell the group how you came up with that one and, and then how it just manifested into its own thing? Yeah, absolutely. That project really came about because of my own frustration. Um, I'm even though we're both children of artists and we've both been creative our whole lives, doing art for jobs our whole lives, um, it, it doesn't mean that it always comes easily. And I had worked professionally for about a dozen years doing uh, creative work when I burned out, and mm -hmm. I hit a moment in my life where I just wasn't inspired. I didn't like the work I was doing. I wasn't coming up with new and better ideas. I wasn't making more money. I just had plateaued and was really frustrated. And this project came to me just out of nowhere. I was in the midst of this time of being stuck and, and, and thought, you know what? Uh, this idea appeared, I should make a piece of skull art every single day for a year. And it sounded crazy, but at the same time, I was like, I like skulls and I'm not really making art for myself, so why not try this? And so I just got started and I just did little stuff. I started out making 20 minutes a day, little things that weren't great masterpieces. They were just something, made something. But after I started making it, I started sharing it with other people and I got this really positive feedback, which made me want to make more of it. I was getting this great feedback loop, you know, response of like uh, this endorphin rush of I completed something and got this feedback. And, and so it just grew and grew. And over the course of the year, I, I really expanded uh, my capacity. I, I showed other people what I was capable of doing. And I started getting the opportunities that I always wish I'd gotten. You know, I'd been frustrated. I'd felt like, you know, people didn't know I was an artist. People weren't letting me have gallery shows. I couldn't figure out how to get my way into those places. How do I get a book published? I couldn't figure out any of this stuff. And so instead of worrying about that, I just made stuff and put it in the world. And so it was really important that I made things daily. I shared them daily. And then I got this great feedback and it just snowballed. And, and so it grew from me making this little thing to get myself inspired to people all over the world taking part and watching and sharing their own work, uh, opportunities to then go and talk at a variety of places, book publishing deals that came my way, and ultimately this consulting that built out of it. And so I'd gone from being somebody who was a, 
a designer for hire doing illustration and, and, and uh, commercial art to someone who was being asked to share my knowledge about art and creativity. And, and then Micah, who had come from an industry that was similar to mine, where was doing it for other people, for clients, saying, hey, we, we've got something here. There's a real value to this. Uh, how can we share it with other people? Because it was happening anyway. We were seeing people across the globe coming back to me saying, I'm so inspired by what you did and how you learned this stuff. I want to do it too. Uh, so we started sharing the, the skill set that, that was developed from it. Isn't that, and isn't that the message, you guys? You were trying to solve your own problem. And out of that ended up connecting with so many other people in so many different ways. So when, when uh, Noah, Mike, and I worked together, um, he would oftentimes tell his story in a very visual way, as you can only imagine. And he showed pictures of this 365-day challenge. And you guys, when I tell you it is incredible, he would, uh, and correct me where I'm wrong here, Noah, he'd go to a hotel room and decide, I'm going to make a skull out of bed sheets. Or he'd see rotting fruit on his counter in his, in his refrigerator. And he'd be like, I, I think that if it rots just a little bit more, I think I could make that skull-like. And Noah would come and teach at our classes uh, just about once a month. And I swear for the next two weeks after, whenever I was walking the streets of Manhattan, I would see skulls everywhere I'd go. It was like the most salient image because of uh, my time and, and the impression that, that Noah made with me. So I love that it starts with a problem that you had, that you wanted to solve, this whole, I'm stuck. How do I just get my juices flowing again? And then it ends up just uh, really resonating with the rest of the world. I just love the relaunch of your career in that, in that regard. Yeah, it was a real transformation for me as an artist and, and, and my life, my career. And, and what I love, like you're saying, is that it, the people that it touches, you know, it really has this, this profound effect on other people. And, and, we've, and we've heard this over and over again, that, that people that encounter it start thinking differently. And that's what we want, right? That, that, that you can benefit from this experience I had and see that it is just about taking action, right? Doing little things that add up to transformation rather than thinking, well, it's just because Noah is talented and has this art ability that he was born with. We want to be able to teach you that, no, there's a thing within yourself that you can develop and grow and put out there. And if you do a little practice, that you can really get a lot of benefit from it. One of the great things about that skull story is that, you know, it really does challenge some of the ideas people have about art and creativity. They you see Noah's work now. Yes, he is capable now of creating a single image that is absolutely mind-blowing. But the way he developed this was through a project where if you look at any of those individual skull artworks, you might say, it's kind of cool, or that's clever, or meh, what's the big deal about this guy, right? But he created every day, created relentlessly, created within very specific constraints, um, and it created a body of work. And that's what was exciting about the story. And I think that's what people really start, you know, it helps people really see that, you know, if you are really trying to be creative, you're really trying to get to innovative solutions. Um, it's not often the story that we hear about how that works. You know, Noah really gives a very good insight in the reality of this. You know, that there's going to be a lot. You know, he made 300. We joke he made 365 rough drafts and he shared them all. How often do you do that? You know, and that's you know scary and you know experience. But like we said, you know, just getting what you get back is twofold, you know, but, it, but he put something out there very bravely and boldly and, um, and it just keeps coming back. So yeah, the vulnerability of that, and to your, to your point, you did this early on in social media, right? You, so the, the vulnerability involved in, in not only trying to solve your own problem, therefore, number one, admitting you had a problem as an artist. Yes. So that's vulnerable in and of itself. Then trying to your point, 365 drafts, putting it out into the world, and in this world of everybody's got to comment on everything, right? The amount of feedback and the amount of um, reaction and everything I saw was just full on love for you, Noah. But it's, it takes some chutzpah to really put yourself out there and, and uh, you know, keep going, keep persevering, even in the light of, gosh, I'm not quite sure if this is resonating with folks or not. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about letting go of that perfectionism too. Again, Noah was working as a, a graphic designer and a branding, you know, that you've got, it's got to be perfect when you show it to your clients. We understand that, but here he is showing something that is like, kind of like, you know, a little bit, you know, he made it in 20 minutes. It's not what he would want to put out. And again, we talk about that. So important to, to, to be able to put that aside that, that we call perfectionism or preciousness. Yes. If you're going to create anything, right? <laughs> right. Right. Oh, and I can easily equate that to, I, 
I have several uh, clients that are with it, always about, like sloppy copy, right? Like, and, and you know what this equates to? PowerPoint. The, the amount of perfectionism that goes into creating a, a corporate versions, a corporate person's version of art, which is PowerPoint, um, is exceptional, right? The amount of time we put into that. So you guys, we just need to get the message across. Sloppy copy does need to be yeah. perfect. We're good. So the fact that you did that was something that's core to how you, you know, feed your family. I think that's exceptional. And I am a perfectionist at heart. I mean, this is not easy for me. It's a challenge and it's something that I had to work through and I still work through. And the only reason I'm able to do it now is because I trust the process because I know it works yeah. because I did it already. Yeah. So what do you guys say to, oh, you know, we heard this all the time at GE, right? I'm just not that creative. I'm just, you know, it's one thing for Noah to be an artist. I'm not even crafty. I'm not even creative. We used to hear, do you remember this from all of our, Engineering. Oh, yeah. I don't have a creative bone in my body. Yeah, I don't have a creative bone in my, I don't really get, what are we supposed to do? What's this assignment? And just to give a little backstory, I want you guys to answer that question, but uh, Noah would come in and not only share his backstory, get people so fired up and, and intrigued and inspired by his work, but then he would surprise them by giving them several tasks. He'd start them out small. So I remember the circle exercise where there was a paper full of circles and they had to make things out of this circle. And they couldn't be the same um, object. So imagine a paper full of circles and the goal is to draw an object using the circle as either a base or a part of it. And then eventually connect the circle somehow and maybe even tell a story. And eventually it would just kind of grow and evolve into this you know, amazing uh, piece of, of either art or certainly a, a creative exercise. And then they'd go on to something bigger and different. And the goal was to just keep exercising those same muscles. And every time they'd start to take on a new task or a new assignment that Noah and Micah would give them, you'd hear what Micah had said, you know, I don't have a creative bone in my body. I'm just not good at this. I, gosh, you guys got me on your, on your team. I'm so sorry. You know, those sorts of things. So what, what is your response when you hear uh, comments like that? Our motto is really creativity is a practice. Um, it's actually, it's actually not a talent that some special people have or something that you're sort of, you know, comes from, you know, no, I'll say like that, you know, the gods, the muses, and they sort of, you know, they grant you some special light bulb over your head experience, right? It's like, no, it is, it's 99% perspiration, right? That's the reality. But why do we want to separate ourselves from creativity? Why are you disassociating yourself from something that is actually human nature, um, every child has it. If you have a child or if you've seen a child, um, you see they're being creative all the time. That's how children learn. That's how you learn. It's actually how adults also learn. We just sort of, for some reason, at some point decide that that's not appropriate way for adults to learn. And we kind of shut off like a whole, you know, a whole opportunity area. So I think, see what we're often doing is coming in, opening that part back up again for people realizing, oh, you know, I can use that part of my, my, my being that is actually essential to me. It was always there, just kind of waiting. And, and I love those exercises because you see, it's always the person with the arms crossed who is like judging it or the person that's like so uncomfortable that by the end of one of these pretty simple exercises, you know, we, and we spend a pretty limited amount of time with them over the course of their, you know, whole, um, you know, experience, uh, that the, very quickly, those people by the end were like, advocates. They were so great. They're doing the craziest thing. They had the, they had the wildest ideas, but it's just, you know, just really just turning a little tiny, you know, opening a little tiny door in someone's brain or heart and it's all there. So that, that's, that's what I say. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, you know, to your point, right. We say this phrase, don't have a creative bone in my body. And we say, well, of course you don't, because nobody does. It's not a thing. Like they don't exist. So let go of that message right and instead think of it as muscles you talked about a gym or a workout and that's exactly what this is that's what we bring to the table is this idea that if you've got if you can accept that we are all creative beings that that's just a human trait then then it's really about how do we develop that creative muscle that we have the potential to grow right you may not have practiced it you might not have followed a career in the arts and so then yeah this isn't something you've been working with since you were a little kid maybe the last time you drew was in elementary school or middle school and so this is your opportunity to revisit this thing that's actually extremely important and as you know you know that's what leaders were being told was like the skills that you need right now to survive in this VUCA world is how do, how do we problem solve? How do we come up with creative solutions? How do we innovate at the drop of a time? You know, like things are going to happen, right? A pandemic is going to show up. And how do you rethink your whole business? The skill set you need is the skill set that artists have already been trained 
to utilize, to develop new ideas all the time. And so this is the stuff that we were bringing and, and we could see that there was a great need and interest in it. And, and you know, what was great is to be an organization that appreciated that and understood that this is, a, this is something that was valuable for leaders. Oh, and, and essential, I think at the point, and this was, you know, way before pandemic, of course, and not to mention just the pandemic, we had what, four crises all happening at the same time that are complicated and messy and deep and heavy on your heart. And, and I have always said an artist needs to be at the table solving the world's toughest problem. They just need to be invited to the party. And it, it almost goes to you. I, I'm sure you guys read this book, Daniel Pink's book. Um, I must say it's called A Whole New Mind. Do you guys remember that? It's, um, it's how right-brainers will rule the world, I think was the tagline. I'll put a, a link to it in my show notes, everybody. But um, in the book, he has this concept called synchrony. And it's this um, sophisticated skill of being able to take things that seemingly don't have a relationship and making something of it. And I think that's what not only artists do, but quite frankly, uh, Noah and Micah just do brilliantly. Not only can they take materials and turn it into art, but they can take art and find a business application and have folks like me hire them into our classes and our communities um, and our, our boardrooms and really help people understand and make the connection between the new and novel that you learn from touching art, from creating art, from thinking through how to build something new, novel, fun, engaging working with others, collaborating with others and so forth. All of those skills are so transferable to what we're trying to do here in the company, in the team, in the corporation, in the industry, et cetera, et cetera. Can we talk a little bit more about some of the byproducts that people really do learn out of art that might be a bit surprising for folks? I think I like that you mentioned that um, so crucial to have that opportunity. We, and we talked a little bit about resourcefulness, but I think we're talking about that connection to physical, sensual world, like the physical world. And so much of what we do around creating is, is, is in the computer right now. It's in the, I don't want to say the virtual world because it is real, but it's in this space that is removed from a lot of the physical sensing that we, our bodies do is how we understand the world. So we're really limited in how we're able to perceive and understand and I think that's harming us. So a lot of what we do is just having people make things with their hands is a huge part of just thinking that, again, it's a huge part of human thinking. We need to make things with our hands. We need to touch things, have sensations on our fingertips. It's real, right? And make, you know, whatever our, you know, whether it's, again, we were talking about canines, they have different sensory perception, but whatever your sensory perceptions are, you need to be using them to learn and to understand the world. And if you, whatever you're creating in a computer it's impacting the world, you know, and, and that's sort of that like separation from how we're um, connecting is hindering often the decisions we make, right? Or could 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 change the decisions you make. So I think a lot of people, um, a lot of that connection back to the physical world is helpful for a lot of people. Just taking a minute away from your computer screen or your computer um, is a huge way to get creative. We always say the least creative place you could possibly be is where you are working right now. Yes, <laughs> yes. Amen to that. Amen to that. Getting away from that, touching physical material, using physical things, um, and not working to a creative brief or a brief right away, you know, not like being actually exploratory, being experimental in a way that is just, you know, uh, just to, to, to pursue some curiosity and to, to, to see what you can make of your existing resources within those constraints, what, what's possible. Yeah. Um, before you get into those, um, you know, real world, you know, challenges that you have to solve, but before you even get there to, to do some exploratory work, you know, what's, what's possible. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's interesting because even with the pandemic and, um, the limitations, if you will, that, that folks have experienced in terms of the way they work and how they work and who they can or can't work with the way in which they work, you know, wear a mask, wash your, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it's, it's. Things are just flat, right? They're, they've lost a bit of their color. They're just flat. They're not um, as vibrant and invigorating. And that to me is what art does. I, I wouldn't say I'm an artist. I think I'm a crafter. I think I put myself in that. Cat. I don't know where that falls in the artistry, but I love to make, like I make theme cakes, you know, all the, for, for family and friends, that kind of stuff. Uh, I'll paint, I'll do clay. I'll do, you know, I'll do all of that kind of stuff. But 
Um, but I just love that I can lose myself in that. And it's actually where I get, it's the equivalent to, you know, they say when you're driving or when you're in the shower, you get your clearest, most creative thoughts or that time right before you go to bed. Um, that's what art does for me. You can kind of lose yourself in it. And all of that vibrancy and that multi-dimension uh, component just comes back uh, to you. And you take all of that then richness and you apply it to your you know, most salient challenge or, or, or uh, issue. So no, what have you experienced with regard to that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we'll observe people in our workshops, right? And we've given them this task that might seem very silly or childlike. And these are people who are often, you know, executive leaders who are doing very serious jobs that are very linear often, uh, you know, engineers, bankers, all kinds of people who are very, you know, very specific type of work. And what, you know, we talk to them about this experience and very often people say, I felt like a kid again, or I, it was fun. Or I will say, did you think of work the entire time you were doing this? They say, no, not at all. I was focused. I had that state of flow that, you know, and it was remarkable because we could generate that in minutes, right? Most, a lot of these projects would be 20 minutes at max an hour long. And in that tiny amount of time, we were able to create stuff, first of all, tons of stuff, but a change in their state and their mindset, learning. And so to say, look, you can bring this back with you, right? You have 20 minutes somewhere in your week. This is not stuff that you can't do because, oh, I don't have hours and hours to paint a picture. No, this is this little moment, but that's going to make everything you do afterwards change, right? This is, this is changing your neural pathways, adding new ways of, of solving problems that then your regular work is going to be transformed in the process because you're going to go, that was, a, that was a joyful moment, right? We need more of those. That was fun. Oh, wow, that felt good. I want that at work because you're going to benefit, right? Everybody's going to benefit from, from that at work. And so... Yeah, you know, and a lot of what we would teach people is counterintuitive, right? Because the expectations around uh, what it is to be an artist and be creative are usually very counter to what we think of as, as the appropriate workplace behavior and the things we need to do to hit the bottom line. And so this stuff is about sort of how do we find space in our, in our workday for this other? How do we make a brave space where we can experiment and play and try things and, and put unfinished things out into the world and, and get that feedback we need to see the, to develop the really important ideas we need? Some of our activities, we'd have people come up with a hundred solutions to something in a workshop and in minutes, right? 30 minutes, hundred solutions. And first of all, people thought it was impossible. And second of all, what people consistently saw every time we do this is that their good ideas weren't their first ideas or their second or their third or their fourth. It was somewhere around the midway or three quarter mark when they got some good ideas. But at work, do we ever get past idea one or two? Are we doubling down on that first idea and then barreling forward with it, bringing it to the marketplace, right? Where is the opportunity for this play and this, this, this uh, experimentation that can give us the good ideas we need desperately? Uh, absolutely. And it's so interesting because when you get into a company and you fit into a role and you're put into a team and there is structure and linearity and process and rigor and those sorts of things that really dictate, you know, your, your minutes, your hours, your days, your weeks, your quarters, and so forth. And it, we almost get a bit numb. Uh, we get, what's that, what's that called when you're driving and you kind of, you forget that you're supposed to be paying attention. What's that called? I'm losing my word. The, you get like hypnotized. Is it hypno hypnosis? Like yeah, the road, yeah road. a bit like yeah. that. Like, oh my gosh, I woke up and I'm, you know, I'm two miles down the road. <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, terrifying. So, but when we're in a corporate environment like that, I I think we forget that there should be variety. There should be a bit of a shakeup. You shouldn't be just following the, the 30 to 60 minute increments on your calendar. You've got to build in time, think time or play time. Or uh, one of the biggest ahas I remember seeing after every class was you'd give them a challenge, like the, the 100 ideas challenge, and you could see them starting slow. And then they start to pick up steam. And then they start to get creative and they start asking the groups next to them for their great ideas. Here's what I'm trying to solve. What do you think? What do you think would work? Or you see teams kind of actually reform like amoebas and start working together on multiple problems. And the amount of, of uh, ingenuity that comes with that is, is incredible. And then we would debrief the entire situation, of course. And we would ask them, where do you think this has a role? in a, a company, a corporate environment, your team, et cetera. What, tell me about uh, how that might manifest itself. And you'd hear things like, this is a direct correlation to how well I can solve my problems. 
this is a direct, um, this is a, a vivid example of how I will or won't work with the people around me. Um, this is exactly the feeling I want people to have when they leave and go home and talk to their families about their, their day at work. So it, it just became such a core message. And again, GE was uh, brave enough, I think, to understand the value of art and uh, really support us putting it in as a core component to the, uh, the program. And, and you guys led that shift. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was, it was an amazing space to be in. And, um, and it was so great to hear that feedback because we understand this to be the case. And a lot of our job often is to make this connection for people to say, we've prioritized innovation in the business space, but creativity is often a little bit of a weird loosey goosey thing that we're not so comfortable with. And we might assign to certain teams or people, and we sort of keep it away from everybody else. But we keep saying, this is the priority innovation. So what we want to do is say innovation the foundation of innovation is creativity. Without that, we're not going to have the innovation we need. And certainly we won't have it in a sustainable way that's going to get us through the next problem we have, even if we get through this current one. And so how do we create people and then ultimately organizations who have that, develop that creativity within themselves so that they're ready to take on these challenges, that they've got this great skill set that's available to them for problem solving uh, consistently? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think Silicon Valley kind of cracked it wide open, right? People used to laugh at, beanbag chairs and foosball tables. And then that grew into, you know, the Google campus, the Apple campus and so forth. And they were creating this energy of fun, creativity, vibrancy. Everywhere you look is something creative or different or, um, or uh, representative of something that they believe in and so forth. So the art involved in them creating those campuses, I think, you know, was almost like looked down upon by some of the longer term companies and then eventually people well now they're occupying most of the you know top 10 revenue generators um on the on the markets these days but now folks are saying gosh I, I think they might have something to that there might be something to them actually taking a break collaborating you know doing things differently and that's why I think where artists just have such a critical role to play in the corporate environment. And I want to point out, you said, you were talking about how scheduled out everybody is. And it makes sense, right? You're really organized. We've got limited time. We've got a lot to do. What we've found is that if you don't prioritize this and give it the time, right? Say, this is designated time. This is required work, this creativity stuff. It's, it doesn't get, happen. It gets shoved to the side. And so, you know, as you're thinking, as the listeners think about how do I do this? Like, you have to assign time to it and say, it doesn't have to be a lot, 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. But if you can assign that time and say, this is valuable. And you know it's valuable because you see the results of it around you or because you learn it from us, then then you'll put the work in and you'll show up and you'll go to that gym and do that little creative workout for your brain. Well, I think it's also ties in a little bit to like, you know, sort of talking about the innovation. How is this going to happen? You know, do you have your special R&D group? Do you have your special, special people that come in and do innovation things? And what we're trying to say is it's it's not for special people at special times. We're in a situation right now, let's all be honest, where we need to be innovating all the time. We do not have the ideas we need, right? for anything right now, <laughs> we are hardly there. Let's get there, you know, but we need all hands on deck. And, you know, that's, that's that idea that, you know, innovation is within everyone's capabilities. Um, and let's, let's not make it something that has to be somehow so specialized and so exclusive, right? So I think that's also about that, you know, innovation can be something that happens, builds up over time through a small, you know, what, what people are so wowed by what they can generate in a short period of time when they go through one of these exercises, right? So I think that then they're like, oh, wow, right. If all of my, you know, 600 person team just spent a few minutes every week, oh, we really have a lot more. Yes, you really would. So, and that also ties into the, what we've sort of touched upon a couple of times, both of you have spoken about it a little bit, that idea that it's really about working together. We don't call it collaboration. We say you can't do it alone not individual, you know, yeah, it's maybe even a changing time around thinking about leadership too, right? It's not actually about what one individual does. It's about how we work together. Absolutely. So let's, let's get to some pragmatic stuff here, you guys, in terms of this, and it's hard to say pragmatic and art and creativity all in the same, the same uh, vein, right? But We've got folks who are listening who are probably individual contributors. We've got folks who are listening who are probably managers. We've got folks who are listening who I bet are our moms and dads or aunts and uncles or people who want to, you know, make sure their, their kids grow up with healthy doses of, 
of this uh, mindset, what could a person do if it's just them? They just want to build their creative muscle and and do something differently. Your books are so awesome, by the way, for that this unstuck uh, gives you just every page is a different thing you can do, you can read, you can try, you can lean into that I think helps build, you know, that 10 minutes a day that you guys talked about. But what would be your homework assignment to that to that group? Well, I like to say um, dream small. One of our sayings, we, you know, who would possibly tell people to dream small? That is a terrible motto. It's a terrible, you know, it's, it's, it's not what you want to put on your commercial, but um, often people are told dream big or even, you know, you have ideas, you have a big, maybe you have an imagination about what you could create or, or you just feel pressured about what you could do. Um, and that's often just stops people. Just I'll, I'll, sometimes it's important to have those big ideas, but it can often be very, um, you know, intimidating. And then you see what other people do and wow, what they did was great. I mean, I'm, or I think we're all vulnerable to that, right? Seeing so much of what other people do, that's wonderful. Um, so I say, you know, what something, once you've identified something that, you know, you desire or you like, or you want more of in your life, what is the smallest thing you can do? Let's dream small. And again, when Noah shares his skull story, the first skull he shows you is, it's really, it's really, I mean, not that it's embarrassed. Noah should not be embarrassed by it, but it is nothing that a child couldn't make, right? My child could do that kind of, t- it is kind of almost that, right? So my child could do it. He cut it out with little scissors, just a little piece of paper. And that's the point. He actually, Noah is a, a wonderfully skilled artist, but he humbled himself. Let's humble ourselves, right? Like, okay, you know what? You want to learn to cook? You're not going to make you know, whatever first, right? Don't do that. Make something, start some, do something small, just start. So that's the idea is to, to cre- come up with something small you can do, lower the barrier to entry for yourself, be humble. And so you can also enjoy it because if you're not enjoying it, you're not going to keep going with it. So <laughs> that's the other uh, advice. And one of the ways we really deal with and you know, help people do that, that dream small idea is that we put a bunch of constraints up. You were talking about limitations and how we're dealing with them all the time. The reality is that we're never not going to be in that situation, you know, especially in a workplace. Uh, and so instead of rejecting those and saying, well, I can't get to this thing because I'm never going to have that freedom I need to do it, that space, that time, that budget, whatever it is, we're saying, no, go go the opposite. Like, let's really create some constraints. Let's say you've only got five minutes to do it. Let's say you've got some um, prompt that sort of gives you some specifics. You have to you solve this problem. Um, these are the things that help us do that dream small because we can really be like, hey, don't don't try to do the big thing at all. In fact, you're not allowed to. You're going to have to do it in this very condensed or compressed way. And that set of constraints helps a lot for people to get started, right? right? Because it gets us out of that frozen, we can't do anything, we can't go anywhere to just kicking us forward into something. Even if that something isn't the greatest thing we've ever done or something we're super proud of, it's just something that starts momentum and we can build on. Absolutely. I could I can see some folks like me, I will I will admit and wrap myself out, who will now drive myself over to Michael's and spend four hundred dollars on art supplies with the apron and the canvas and the stand and the brushes and the okay, now I'm gonna dive in. And you don't need to do that. To your point, start small, start now. Uh, dream small, love that as a juxtaposition to you know what people are, are usually told. This is a habit-forming request. If you want to be more innovative, if you want to um, really start to think about some complex problems in some new and different ways, you've got to build up that muscle of seeing things differently, playing th- with uh, different um, objects and, and images and um, uh, and messages that will help you eventually cross over to the thing you really need to be focused on. So let's switch gears. What about managers? What about managers of people? What can they do to help their teams as a whole build this muscle? What would you recommend for them? Most pressing challenge right now, what I've been hearing is, you know, it's Zoom fatigue, it's remote workplace challenges, you know, and these aren't probably aren't going away for a lot of people because this is actually that a lot of workplaces are going to continue to 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 actually adopt more it, it was going that way anyway but i think this actually sped up something that's just going to be a reality where you know we're working remote more often and how do we manage and, and create culture that way how do we support culture that you want to have the ways of working together it's really hard um so you know i think for managers uh creative connecting i would say finding ways to creative to connect in a creative way so you can use 
Certainly you can use creative exercises like this um, as a way to connect people. Um, and also just thinking in general, again, about you, again, if you're a manager, you're, you're in a leadership role, people are looking to you. Um, how can you create opportunity for other people? Can you put out a prompt or a challenge that other people can respond to instead of you know taking upon yourself to design something? Maybe you can put out a prompt or a challenge, let other people be creative and have fun with it. Um, involve people, use it as a connecting tool. Um, that's sort of what comes to mind right away is just thinking about um, creative connecting. Where the opportunities you can use creativity to connect. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we saw a lot, right, is that people want their teams to be creative or they want their teams to do this stuff and they don't want to do it themselves. And I think the biggest thing they can do is, is embrace it. Put yourself out there, be vulnerable, show your, show your own failures, show your own you know, attempts at something, your, your, your rough drafts, show them that, that it's a safe place to do that because you're doing it, right? Because a lot of times it feels like a test to, to people that are, you know, they're looking at you like, Oh, you don't really want us to do that because what 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 incentives are we really being given, right? And there's there's the sort of spoken incentives, and then there's the reality of it. And I think that when leadership, when when a you know manager says, "Hey, we're we're taking this on. I'm going to set the stage by doing this activity. We're going to do this together," it, it, it loosens everybody up and opens their opp the opportunities for for them to start thinking of, of a lot more ideas, right? Because now they're they're they have a freedom to do that. And yeah, with the Zoom space that we're all in and, and apparently going to be in for a while. Um, it, it can turn into very much the same, same, same. And so we very intentionally begin all of our Zoom, you know, workshops now with interactive activities, a lot of commented, you know, we will ask non-rhetorical questions, you know, whatever we can do to keep people staying on there, participating, a lot less monologuing, right? And making sure that everybody is, is sharing and participating in a variety of ways. When we do workshops, what we'll do is have people um, stop, reflect, write, right and re reflect writing and then share and that's a great way to make sure we also don't have those individual people in the team who are taking over right we want to make sure everyone's participating because there's some great voices that may be a little more introverted have a little harder time speaking up especially now in this environment where it may be impossible to speak up right making sure that everyone gets a chance to to think and then share uh, their what they are what's going on with them is so important and i think a manager again can embrace that and and benefit from all the great stuff that their team has to offer. And, and again, it can be little stuff. Creativity is possible in these spaces. I think, it, like you said, it takes, it takes some willingness to put yourself out there and be vulnerable first, right? Otherwise people are not gonna be incentivized. It's a great point. It takes a lot of structure. I think not shying away from structure, even though it's like creativity. Now here's a lot of structure. That's actually what will help this happen. You know, like, hey, it's only gonna take five minutes out of your day, whatever. And then I would also say in this time, allowing people, inviting people to incorporate their family. That's a big one or friends or whoever they're around that, you know, bring this into your life right now. It's super important. It doesn't have to be, you know, separated because it's very hard right now. Right. Everyone is having a little trouble separating. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that's the other thing we're encouraging people to do is, you know, Hey, you know, you can do this with your family. Yeah, it was not uncommon when we would do workshops, you know, anywhere we do them. Gee, it happened a lot where people would say to us, um, I love what you just shared with us, we're gonna bring it back to our office, but also back to our home. And, and we know that if you have, you know, you know that, that balance of great home life, you're gonna have a great work life. And certainly now when they're very merged, uh, you wanna make sure that that's, that's happening here as well. That was, did you feel that way too, um, when, when somebody would tell you that they learned something in one of your, you know, in the program that you design or that you are facilitating or leading, that like they learned something there that they brought to their family. To me, that was like the biggest, like, wow, like. Yeah. That's like the greatest thing is someone brings it to their family. Absolutely. Well, and I think it it just sparked, right? It sparked something in them that they thought was valuable and they wanted to do more with it. I think that's what we can all hope for. You know, it was during that time where we decided to implement art much more into our executive level courses that, you know, people would always ask me, Kim, what do you do for G? What, what, what tell me about your job again. And I gave up, you know, the title didn't work, the, you know, describing the classes didn't work. So I finally said, I'm like a camp counselor for big people. Like that is the work that I do. And then I would describe, you know, the art that we would do, the, you know, the innovation that would come uh, through the different ways of tackling some of the most complex problems, you know, not only in the company, but maybe the world. You have to get people out of that linear environment of pitching and PowerPoints and, you know, meetings and boardrooms and hierarchy and, or they will just not 
get there. And um, that's where the Camp Counselor for Big People kind of, you know, came in and, and took hold. But what's interesting for that now, Micah, to your point about, gosh, the Zoom environment is so tough on folks. There was a Microsoft study, I think I might have mentioned it in an earlier podcast, that said, uh, according to the study that they did, individuals are working 37% more now because they've taken out their travel time. They, you know, work through lunches. They're working around the clock from a, you know, global um, time zone perspective. There are all sorts of things that are weighing into that. Plus, you know, they're managing other things at home at the same time that they're trying to be productive for work. So now more than ever, I think people need this. Okay, so here's an idea for the manager. So they can uh, really get creative and get their teams thinking differently, even if it's on a Zoom call. To Micah's point, you can do little things to get people engaged. So have everybody go grab a piece of paper, any size will do. Uh, They can stand up in front of Zoom, but somehow you have to have them in the picture. You're gonna want everybody on video for this one. And then tell them to put the piece of paper behind their back. And on the count of three, you're gonna have everybody rip the paper in the shape of a giraffe. And at the end of uh, your countdown, let's say you give them 10 seconds, 15 seconds to do this, you're gonna have everybody hold up that paper and they're gonna vote on who actually ripped the most accurate giraffe. And then you'll sit down and begin your meeting. You could ship um, a very creative gift box to each one of your staff members and tell them not to open it until your next team meeting. And when they open it, it can be filled with toys, Play-Doh or um, things that interconnect or blocks that stack or make images or, or, um, um, or shapes and that sort of thing. Something to help them. I'm all about the physicality too, Mecca. I so agree with that. You have to be moving your hands to be able to really um, get thoughtful and, and uh, get, get uh, uh, deep in terms of uh, problem solving and so forth but something that will help them, again, do their work differently. Um, and even simple things, if you hire, I've, I've uh, hired an artist that actually taught people, this is one for you guys, taught people how to paint a certain uh, picture and everybody was on Zoom, including the artist. So they shipped them the very nominal uh, items that they needed to be successful. And then the class uh, went on over Zoom, which was super helpful for them to somewhat be together, but at least be doing the same thing and and doing something creative. So there are several things you can do, small and large, with a little bit of forethoughts. But the challenge I'm putting out to everybody is do one thing a quarter. Let's start there. One thing a quarter, it can be super small. It can be a rather big investment. But just try to change it up a little bit, especially in this time where folks need it the most. I love that. We do a lot of drawing now with people on Zoom, and that's been an interesting tool because drawing is something that, again, it seems like only some people are really good at it or you have to practice a lot. And we would really try to find an entry to that, that that's playful and fun and quick, and it really engages people because they're, they're working tactily with the stuff around them. Sometimes we'll have challenges where people just use whatever objects are around them in their, in their space they currently are. And it's great because then, to your point, they don't have to have any special materials. You don't have to buy anything extra. It's already there and you can make remarkable things that way. And we'll have your team challenges even put people into the breakout rooms and Zoom and say, this is your team right now, solve this problem together. And when we see you again, we should see evidence that you've done this. I'll give you a good one for managers to do that is great for Zoom. We tell people um, to invent, we'll put them this is their assignment before they go into breakouts is you, you're going to tell them that they're going to invent a holiday that they think that we should celebrate a new holiday, invent a holiday, and then figure out how to celebrate it. And then sh- when we come back, your group should look like we should be able to tell on your screen how your group is celebrating. Oh, love that. Give them like, you know, not even like 10 minutes, whatever, not even 10 minutes, like five minutes. They have to come up with a holiday and then they come back and they have to explain, show us how they're celebrating that holiday. This is, hysterical, so funny, and so creative, so clever. Um, so that's a really fun one. It's really easy. You don't need anything special to do it. You can just give that assignment and put them in rooms for like four minutes. You know? And people, it's amazing. You can put random teams together and watch them cohere really fast and then solve problems. And it's a, you, you can't even imagine the things that are going to happen. And when they come back on the screen, it's so much fun. Yes. Yeah. And it just changes the vibe, right? Of the meeting, the engagement the relationships. And the more you do that, I tell the managers that I work with quite often, 
do two things in every meeting. One, have some sort of team development, something, something. Um, and this is a great place to add in creativity, um, get them to learn or experience something new or different. And the second is to always celebrate, do some sort of oh, yes. shout out, congratulations, thank you, and get the whole team doing it, not just manager to employee, but, but the whole team. But you can do so much with the first 10 minutes of every meeting, do a warm up or an activity or an exploration. Um, or even look at a piece of art on the screen and, you know, just give a little bit of, you know, what does this mean to you? What do you think the art's trying to say? Just something to have them again, using a different, a different part of their brain. So, so important. Love the work. That you and, I, and, I, and, I, and I love your point about celebrating uh, your success. You know, what happens a lot in the workplace is, is that we don't get to do that. Things take a long time. You know, we're working really hard on multiple projects. And so by the time one's finished, we're on to other ones. And a project like I did with Skull a Day, where I was making art daily, I got to celebrate my success of completing something daily. Think about how good that feels. And to do that over and over was to develop this great feeling of like, I want that again. I got this feedback right away. It felt good. I want to do it again and again and again. And so I was building that capacity within myself by using that little small celebration, right? And so that's also where Dream Small comes into play, because if we can get the small things done and celebrate their success, it makes us want to do the next thing. Yeah, I love that. Like a dopamine boost, like every day mm -hmm. you're getting, right? Some positive reinforcement and your body reacts accordingly, for sure. Oh, yeah. I didn't get sick the entire year I was making skulls. Oh, my God. Well, I might have to start making skulls now. There you go. <laughs> might be my new, my new endeavor, my new undertaking. <laughs> so what's in the future for you guys? What, what are you up to? What kinds of exhibitions are you doing? What kinds of creative things are you unpacking? We're exploring a lot of different things right now. You know, again, our motto has been, uh, let's turn social distancing into creative connecting. And that's been this great way to rethink all of the work we do. We had been like you, you know, we do stuff in person. We'd have workshops where people touch stuff and we were next to each other. And I'd speak in front of hundreds of people in person. And so it was great to discover that there's this whole other way of working that we can now benefit from. And so we've been developing tools around that using other tools that allow us to teach, you know, asynchronously online or to use uh, web collaboration tools. Uh, so we've been using uh, Miro, that is a great board that's allowed us to now have people collaborate in a virtual space, which is really exciting. Um, and then from an art perspective, I've been continually, you know, we built a business around our art. So that's important for us to continue to practice and grow it. And so we're always trying new techniques and then using those to develop new ways of teaching. And so I've been, as you were talking about, I've been using stickers. And so we've been developing programming around that. Uh, actually, that's one of the upcoming programs we've been doing. We're talking about sending people stuff to be able to send people materials like stickers and say, hey, these are the things your kids play with, but let's show you how you can use that to rethink the objects that you're dealing with on a daily basis in your work environment? How could you rethink their purpose? Yeah, I think this time has been really, um, you know, it was certainly wildly challenging to, you know, restructure, you know, we're no longer a lot of the work that people like to do in this space. I like to do it in person, of course, you know, and, and like Noah said, is art, you want to see it in person. So we were really doing a lot of that, but, you know, we've always, you know, believe in the power of connecting people who are, um, you know, diverse and dispersed through these this technology. So I think being, we were sort of almost a little ahead of the game with some of those kinds of ideas and tools in particular, um, our creative sprint challenges were really designed around, you know, using the, the potential to have a lot of people in different locations, sharing what they make daily in a virtual space, virtual gallery, whether it's social media or, you know, an online space that's, you know, more private, um, and, you know, we had, we've done this publicly um, many times on using Instagram and other kinds of um, groups. Uh, but this year, you know, we've done it with some groups, some, some engagements with clients, but this year, suddenly people really, that suddenly had so much more value of like, oh, a, a digital program that connects lots of people. Oh, I get it. Right. This is actually really important right now. Um, so, you know, it did provide opportunity in some great ways and finding more ways to we happen to have something that already worked for that, that people recognized, you know, they liked it and they were like, now we have a real application and a need. So for me, one of the exciting areas for us is we always wanted to use these tools to help with you know, organizational culture development. Um, and that sort of opportunity is starting to come up more people really just they're, they just, they, they've always needed it, but I think just sort of seeing that value of this particular way of doing that. Um, so using creative development for organizational culture development, um, 
is just something exciting. And I'm glad that we're able to start, you know, working in that space using these tools there. And I think we should back up and explain the Creative Sprint a little bit, because um, Micah just brought that up, that that's a tool that we developed uh, years ago. And it's really a means of people experiencing uh, what a daily project is like, but in a condensed way. We know that, you know, 30 days-ish is a habit, right? So it's habit forming. And so what we say is, hey, we get that this stuff can be overwhelming. We want you to practice it because we know that if you just do one creative activity and stop, you're not going to really get the benefits of that brain transformation that we need you to show up and do the gym workout, right? The, you don't go to the gym one day, doesn't do anything for you. It just makes you sore. But if you keep going, you see your muscles growing. And so we want people to practice at least a few days, uh, hopefully a week or more. And so we offer challenges uh, that we call Creative Sprint, where you, we give you a prompt, a little creative idea, a thing to try. And we say, set a daily time to do it. And we'll send you, an, you know, a new one every day, depending on how we're doing it uh, for a certain amount of time. And so it's making daily, sharing daily, reflecting daily, doing that little, little bit and watching it add up and see real transformation. So the creative sprint is just basically a, a function of that idea of like simple, small creative practice around these prompts, which are limitations, basically saying, hey, instead of just saying to people, make anything, which we know will just overwhelm people, shut them down. We say, hey, respond to this little idea. What if, what if you had to make something that fit in the palm of your hand with whatever's on the table in front of you? What would you do? Now your wheels are turning. Now you're thinking about it. Oh, how would I do that, right? And that's what's important. So we get you motivated. Okay, we think about, and you've only got five minutes to do it. Oh, okay, I better get to it. And then you've made something. But then we really, we really say it's about the sharing. Don't keep it to yourself, right? It's not the private journal. This is something you're gonna put, it, put yourself out there and discover the amazing benefit of sharing something that's really huge. And, and, and it gets you out of that mode in the workspace too, because we are very, a lot of secret stuff, right? My personal projects and my, my, my thing I'm trying to do great. I don't want to show anybody it's not ready. And, and how we're you know, selling ourselves short by doing that and also our organizations by keeping that stuff to ourselves. Yeah, and I understand, Micah, that you guys have uh, an opportunity you'd like to offer our listeners that gets them in that mode um, and lets them practice some creativity. Do you want to share that uh, with folks? Well, yeah, we want to challenge you, Kimberly. I'm all up for it. Bring it on. I know your, I know your game. Um, you and your listeners together, maybe we'll try this. Yeah. So what we did was um, just to get a taste of this, you know, daily creating, or again, you can use these, we call them prompts any way you like, if you're a manager of people um, or a leader of people, and you're just looking for some things to do. At meetings, um, if you sign up at createbettertogether.com, uh, you will get a series of seven emails that come from me, Micah, like the rock. And um, they uh, will introduce you to some of the, um, you know, kind of contradictory ideas about creativity that Noah learned during his scholar day experience that we talk about, like dream small and um, make friends with limitations and you know, uh, perfectionism, dealing with perfectionism. So each day introduces a different theme and gives you a different creative prompt that should take about five minutes to do. And then, you know, challenge you to, to try doing it daily for seven days, see how that feels, or perhaps, you know, try it for yourself and then use those prompts uh, with your, your team. Very generous offer, you guys. Thank you so uh, much for that. I think we could all use uh, quite a boost uh, today. So, Micah, one more time, the name of that uh, website that they should go to? It is createbettertogether.com. Createbettertogether.com. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes. And I also want to make sure folks are able to uh, not only uh, see the amazing work that you do, connect with uh, your art, but also contact you with any help that they might need, especially in this um, area of creativity, innovation, and so forth. So you can go to noahscalen.com to see all of Noah's amazing art, anotherlimiterebellion.com. And again, we'll put all this in the show notes um, and uh, certainly put uh, a couple images of Noah's work, if that's okay with you, Noah. Of course. Give please. you a little taste test of the eye feast you're going to get when you get onto, the, um, onto his webpage. Mike and Noah, we cannot thank you enough for not only uh, spending this time with us, but just sharing such vital uh, information with folks, helping us get out of our rut uh, and get a little uh, closer to the creative side of what we do best. It's our absolute pleasure.
Yeah, this was so fun. Thank you. Hi, everyone. It's Kimberly Kleiman Lee with the Do I Dare podcast. Are you a content creator or influencer? If so, you've got it all figured out, right? Your online business just keeps making money. Nothing bad is ever going to happen. But wait a minute. What if it does? Who are you going to turn to if you need help averting a lawsuit or getting the money you were promised in a brand deal? Ian Corzine, that's who. He's your social media lawyer. And on his weekly podcast, he'll give you the secrets to protecting your brand and skyrocketing your online business. Listen to the Ian Corzine Show every Thursday on Apple and Spotify podcasts. You can also check out Ian's show on YouTube, as well as your favorite podcast app. Check them out every Thursday. That's Ian Corzine's show. Thanks again for listening to the Do I Dare podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share. And we'd love to hear from you. DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Share a topic of interest or a struggle that's top of mind for you. We'll give you a shout out on a future podcast. And for more information about Do I Dare and all things leadership, visit KimberlyKleimanLee.com, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and stay tuned for exclusive content access to the tools and resources you need to lead.